you know, the big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. China is expected to post its weakest economic growth since the financial crisis. Uh, uh, financial crisis uh, when it posts a fourth quarter data out later today. The ECB may unleash $635 billion of QE aimed at staving off Eurozone deflation. And oil slips $1 on China's economic worries uh, with a record Iraq output. Today we talk with uh, Graham Bibby of Richmond Asset Management about the massive sell-off in China's stocks yesterday. Camille Toms, the Director General of the Association of the Luxembourg Fund Industry, will talk to us about the ECB's big decision on Thursday and what this means for fund managers. Then David Thomas of Think Global Consulting talks about the push by Australian businesses into Asian markets. And with us as guest host this morning is independent financial commentator Andrew Sullivan. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Ooh, what a day in Shanghai, Andrew. Were you expecting it? Well, I think when uh, China looked to uh, cut down on margin financing for the big brokerages, it was a, it was obviously going to be a bad day. And I think you have to put this in context that obviously China has been taking, trying to take the the air out of the property bubble, and in doing that, they've they've inflated the equity uh, markets, and so you know any restriction on the the growth there is is obviously going to hurt. Yeah, the air has been uh, flowing in sort of unexpected directions. Stocks in China plunged 7.7% yesterday. It was the largest one-day sell-off since the 2008 financial crisis. But China's security regulators showed no sign of concern, perhaps because the sell-off was largely engineered by them. Last December, a number of China brokers lent far more money than they were allowed to. They're allowed to lend only 50% of their portfolio, but they actually exceeded this margin. And on Friday, the China Securities Regulatory Commission cracked down on borrowing to invest in shares by placing a temporary ban on margin financing against three of China's biggest brokerage firms. And this caused the A-share market to panic and led to the sell-off. Now, Uwe Parpart is the head of recent Research at the Reorient Group. He's a regular guest on Money for Nothing, and he says that China's plunge is a necessary correction after a fantastic year last year. They had too too much of a good year. I mean, the the amount of uh, sort of new uh, accounts opened uh, and uh, margin accounts opened uh, simply was over the top. And uh, you know, there this, this is a necessary correction. I, I welcome it actually because it gives people an opportunity to step back and take a look at what's what's really real as opposed to you know what is just totally 100% liquidity driven. Uh, if you are in China right now, if you you know for a margin call you can get get money, but uh, for margins you can get money. But if you're a small enterprise, you can't get money to you know invest in effective yeah. real economy. So so this is fine. They, they should be doing that. I welcome that. 
Adding to all of this, when China releases its fourth quarter GDP data later today, it's likely to post its weakest growth since the financial crisis. The data is expected to show a drop in growth to 7.2%, slowing from 7.3% in the previous quarter. And full-year economic growth in 2014 is almost certain to undershoot the government's target of 7.5%. But Francis Lun, who is the CEO of GEO Trading and another regular contributor to to this show says that that's not all. There are 37 new shares coming into the market and that will drain the market something like uh, 3 trillion yuan and will suck the uh, market dry and people fear that and also there are some other security reforms that uh, people fear that might hurt uh, the securities broker's business. So what you have is a wholesale sell-off and everybody trying to get out of the market and trying to get for, uh, people falling over each other trying to sell and that's why it co- caused a collapse in Asia and uh, it also brought down the uh, Hong Kong market as well. Carl Weinberg is the founder and chief economist of High Frequency Economics. Here's how he reads the China story. We're looking at a, a change in credit conditions for investors. Credit was cut back to investors. Stocks sold off. I think that's trading 101. It was unexpected. It was not predictable. And I don't think it's repeatable either. Fundamentals in China, in my opinion, remain quite good. We're kind of at the low end of a protracted uh, business cycle slowdown. Looking for a recovery next year, maybe 7% plus growth. And the figure will get overnight tonight for GDP for the fourth quarter. And, of course, the big story for China for me is not so much investors going in, but the big flow of money out of China to the rest of the world. We saw foreign exchange reserves fall in last week's report. So are China stocks simply a bubble? Here's what Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing CEO Charles Lee says. I think we're going to see a pretty strong rally for a while. I don't really know when it's going to come back. I mean, what we see today is probably the biggest pullback we have had for quite a while. But I think as as the fire is here, this rally is going to keep on going. You can put a little bit of cold water here and there. It's going to cool down a little bit. And once it's finished the pullback, it's going to be back up again. Just too much liquidity. It's going to take a while before this bull is going to stop. So are regulators in China doing the right thing then by limiting margin trading? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you sometimes question whether or not the abruptness or the, the speed at which they were executing some of those controls. But I think that it is time for them to sometimes put the, you know, you know, put the, uh, the foot on the brake a little bit because the market is just simply getting a little bit ahead of itself too quickly. Uh, a lot of this margin financing, you know, margin financing you know, today is probably 10 times over just uh, literally just a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And I think uh, that, you know, people needs to take a break and, uh, you know, go back and look at what they're doing and trying to really understand the risk that is involved. You have a market that is fundamentally retail driven and not terribly mature yet. And uh, a lot of those new f- creative uh, financing vehicles is sometimes just getting people a little bit over ahead of themselves. So, Andrew, you know, lending money to investors so that they can trade shares has played a big role in the rise of Chinese shares. So do you agree then with Charles Lee? I think so. I mean, I think when the market starts looking at how many accounts are opened per day as a reason for investing in stock brokerage firms, it's never a good good sign because it's, it's not to do with fundamentals. So 
you know, Uwe said an interesting thing, and he said that small in China right now, small businesses uh, cannot get money, but traders can borrow on the margin. Why is that? Well, it's basically the large banks have raised finance. I mean, Haitung you know, recently did a, a, a capital raising, and, and the main focus of that was to be able to lend more money. And, and it's a big problem for China. I mean, we, we've, we've talked about shadow banking in the past. The big state banks you know, basically lend to the big state industries, uh, but the capital growth and the, the uh, employment growth is really going to come from those small industries, and that's not where the big banks are focused. All right, let's bring in Graham Bibby, who is the chief uh, executive of Richmond Asset Management. He joins us on the phone now from Phuket. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. And welcome back to Money for Nothing. Thank you. So, Graham, this you know, 38% rally in the last three months that we saw in China was partly spurred by uh, interest rate cuts last November. So does this then underscore the fact that it's easier to unleash money into the system rather than guide it to the right places? Um, yeah, don't forget, you know, the, the Chinese stock market has not been the place to be for uh, more than a decade. So... I see the property market is having a, a number of difficulties. It's not appreciating the same. So, um, you know, investors stroke, I would dare to say gamblers, <laughs> are looking for someone to put their mar- money and they were putting it into the uh, uh, Chinese stock market, which broke out actually last July and, and as you know, rose about 60%. And then uh, we've had this significant correction, which I think was long overdue. So, uh, you know, the pace, though, of new investors piling into the market has slowed. Uh, The number of new trading accounts opened on the Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchanges declined to 550,000 in the week that ended Jan 9th. And that's down from a peak of nearly 900,000 in the week that ended December 12th. So this slowing momentum, does this mean that the regulatory commission must deliberately act you know, or, or act delicately, perhaps, as it seeks to prune the excesses of the rally? Yeah, I think because, you know, it, it almost feels like a one-way bet, and the upside was accelerating. So uh, they could see, I think they've been quite vigilant on it, is, is this unregulated over, over-margin lending, I mean, extended outside of the rules and regulations. Um, and if you don't do something about it uh, reasonably quickly then you're setting yourself up for a significant fall. So now I feel that most people look at this as a correction. Um, I don't see any time soon that it'll, it'll turn around because, you know, people have had their fingers burnt. But uh, I'm sure people will be looking at the market now with a view that we're, we're going to get another upside rally. And if, I, and if I compare this with the Japanese stock market in the 80s, um, these immature markets like this, and this can be a significant market, not at the moment, but it can be significant, uh, you do get these kind of phases of, of uh, we didn't get to mass speculation, but we were moving in that direction, and and the Chinese regulators have cooled that off. Yes, Andrew, has uh, the stock market fever made it more difficult for China to further loosen monetary policy? No, I think they're two separate issues. I mean, I think the thing is that, you know, Chinese people have very little. They've they've clamped down on Macau, so they can't get their you know, can't gamble their money there. Um, they've wanted to take the, the 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 hot air out of the bubble as far as property is concerned, and uh, you know you've seen certainly at the start the government funds going into the the stock market, which has encouraged the retail people to switch their money out of the shadow banking, out of Macau, uh, and into the stock market. 
at the end of the day, China is still progressing forward towards making its currency more, more international tradable. That's an interesting one. Uh, Graham, what do you think? Do you think uh, that uh, trading the Chinese markets is, a, is, is, a, is, another, is becoming another Macau? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the, the, you know, I follow trends, as you know, globally and across all asset classes. So for me, the trend of the Chinese stock market has been uh, quite steady in relation to other markets. But, you know, it, it needed to have a bit of a cool off because we're going to get out of sync. Um, it looks to me the significance of the breakout in July that this is a long term bull market. And we're just going through, you know, one of those growing up correction phases. Um, so I'd be watching this quite closely. And also you've got to look at <coughs> external things that might affect the market. Um, as we know, there's a, there's a few issues going on in Europe, and we're talking about the mass stimulus that might happen there. And, and I think that will spill over to, to, to build confidence on the other side of the equation, not only in China, but in emerging markets. So many of uh, the analysts on this show have been saying that they would expect uh, China to unleash more cuts, more uh, cuts as as early as right around now, January or you know the first quarter. What are your thoughts on that? I think they will. Um, I think what they before they do that, they've got to get this margin lending problem in place, you know, sorted, which I think they've just done. Um, so. Now they've said you know they're going to crack down if you go outside of the rules. We don't want, we don't want people excessively exposed, um, and then they will be free to increase their measures because I think uh, the big concern by everyone is deflation now and the oil price going down like it did in commodity prices in gold and silver. I think globally has got these um, you know these government regulators of the economy uh, really concerned about inflation. Uh, so now they need to, you know, give the economy a push, which is why, after all this time, uh, Europe's looking at uh, bringing out some serious stimulus packages to avoid inflation. I think in Germany, I, I heard the details that they've got negative inflation. Well, I thought that was deflation, but so I think there's concerns out there. So I think those cuts will still come along. Okay. All right, Graham, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. That is Graham Bibby. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Richmond Asset Management. Um, Andrew, real quick before we wrap up this segment, do you think this presents a buying opportunity? Well, I think, I mean, I think long-term wise, yes, but I think you've got to be very careful and very stock-specific. I mean, we've seen a lot of momentum play there in China because there, there has been the availability of finance to go and invest in the market. Uh, but there are still good stocks out there, but it you know, doesn't uh, negate the fact that investors have to look at the fundamentals of each company that they invest in. All right. Thank you. More discussion on the ECB and what Mario Draghi is likely to do right after this. In the past, we could only watch on TV. In the past, we did not take part in making the decision. In the past, only 1,200 people voted. In 2017, 5 million people can take part through one person, one vote. 2017, seize the opportunity. The public consultation on the method for selecting the chief executive by universal suffrage is now underway. Please give your views by March 7. Check out 2017.gov.hk.
The time is now 8.18 a.m. and the Nikkei is up 60 points to 17,075. Australia's ASX index is down a quarter of a percent to 5,275. In currencies, one euro buys you 1.15 U.S. dollars. One U.S. dollar is currently trading at 117 yen and one pound sterling is worth $11.69. Well, Mario Draghi is likely to announce a 550 billion euro bond purchase program this week. And economists are saying that he won't skimp too much on the details. Analysts are also saying that market expectations are stellar and there must be no disappointment. Let's bring in Camille Toms, who is the director general from the Association of Luxembourg Fund Industry, which is an industry body in Luxembourg that works closely with asset managers and fund houses. Good morning, Camille. Good morning. Uh, so, Camille, what are your thoughts on the likelihood of the ECB unveiling a big bond buying program this week? I think it's true that the investors will keep an eye on, on this week's uh, policy meeting of the European Central Bank, uh, especially after Switzerland's uh, decision to, to abandon the uh, exchange rate cap uh, between the euro and the Swiss franc. So expectations in, in, in the market, also in Europe, are, are very high that the ECB will approve that stimulus package, uh, uh, which aims at, at, being, uh, at buying large chunks of, of government securities, um, obviously to counter deflation and, uh, and weak growth in, in the eurozone. Okay, so now you talk to, obviously, a lot of fund managers, and uh, are a majority of fund managers in favor sort of, of this action? Uh, definitely. I think um, the general effects uh, expected by that quantitative uh, easing is obviously to they hope to boost uh, GDP, to, to increase uh, banks' uh, liquidity, and in return uh, they should, uh, in, in the economy, uh, um, picking up in, in, in consumer or business lending and, uh, and also an increased demand for, load, for loan and, and credit, uh, credit products. And what if it doesn't happen, or doesn't happen in the way everyone's expecting it? Well, then uh, I guess there will be a big disappointment. The the big question mark uh, is whether uh, Mr. Draghi will uh, be very uh, specific uh, and detailed about uh, about that. Uh, whether the program should be limited or unlimited. Uh, you mentioned a figure of uh, above 500 uh, billion, so it has been widely reported, but no one knows if. Mr. Raghu will really go into um, into the, the details. There are also indication that uh, central banks will, will largely be responsible for, for buying uh, their own uh, sovereign bonds. So expectations uh, are, are very high in, in, in the market and uh, uh, it would be good if we uh, did not get uh, disappointed. Andrew, your well, thoughts? I, I think the key thing here is that um, you know, last week we had the decision that uh, you know, QE could go ahead by the, you know, as far as legally it could go ahead. And has that been a big boost to the market, a big encouragement? Yes, I think that does definitely give comfort to, to the ECB um, uh, to, go, to go ahead, especially as um, Germany has been quite reluctant so far to, uh, to go for, for, for that programme and... Um, um, I think they will do everything also to um, uh, appease uh, Germany in that respect. Now, um, Germany, you, you bring up Germany. How much of a stumbling block is Germany likely to be? 
Well, there are signs that uh, there seems to. Um, uh, obviously, I'm not in 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 in, in the secrets, but there are signs that, uh, based on 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 the decision, uh, the legal decision uh, taken recently, that uh, uh, Germany will 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 support uh, uh, the program on, on, under certain conditions. Uh, as I mentioned, that uh, notably central banks uh, should. Uh, uh, should be responsible for buying the sovereign bonds and also um, uh, support um, support it in case of any uh, losses or, or eventual defaults. What do you think, Andrew? Do you expect any surprises at all there? Well, I think, I mean, removing, I mean, Germany put in this objection and now the court has decided, and it's, it's an interim decision, but, you know, people are likely to flow with it. The fact that the court has found on Draghi's behalf is, is going to give them a lot more confidence. Germany has has a different policy and this is one of the big problems in Europe is the fact that you still have you know all these countries having their own individual policies uh, and Draghi has got to try and do a central policy whilst the cent- you know while the individual governments follow their own policies that removed a big stumbling block and I think the market has been very encouraged by the fact that you know in the past Draghi has said he will do whatever it takes uh, and now we have that interim court decision it gives him the power to do that. So, Andrew, what do you think might be the impact of this QE? Certainly we understand, you know, within the Eurozone area, but on financial hubs outside of the Eurozone area, places like London and Hong Kong and New York and so forth, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the key thing here is that that Draghi is, is, as he has said in the past, doing whatever is needed to keep Europe going. Uh, And Europe is obviously an important hub as far as, you know, exports go, as far as investments go. uh, And it's underperformed in the past. So, you know, there, there is potential for good upside if he gets to do what he wants to do. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, that is uh, Camille Toms. He is the Director General from the Association of the Luxembourg Fund Industry. Australian businesses are heading out to Asia in an effort to market their story. The push is about introducing products and services that are lesser known but look to the backbone of new industry as the commodity supercycle fades. Let's welcome uh, David Thomas, who is the CEO of Sydney-based Think Global Consulting. Good morning, David. Good morning. So, uh, David, Think Global is trying to uh, access uh, Asian markets and make them more available to Australians. Can you describe uh, to our listeners how you do this? Well, yes, I'm here this week um, leading a mission from Australia to the Asian Financial Forum in Hong Kong. So we have 20 small businesses looking to engage in Asian markets um, across a wide range of sectors. And uh, that's certainly one way I do it. Um, More recently, though, I think that uh, some of the biggest opportunities in Australia have been uncovered by harnessing Chinese investment into Australia, Chinese outbound investment, looking to invest in new industries in Australia. And that certainly accelerated the process. And how much interest is there in what's happening in Asia, specifically among Australian businesses? I I lived in Hong Kong in the 80s and 90s, and I moved to Australia 20 years ago when there really wasn't very much interest. In fact, um, Australia was coming out of a fairly major recession in the mid-90s, and there's been actually 22 years of uninterrupted economic growth since then. So to some extent, 
Australia has been a little, little bit complacent and a bit slow perhaps to engage the Asian opportunity, unlike other markets which have had to because of the recessions and problems they've had in their own um, countries. But that is changing now. Certainly the last five years um, and certainly the last two or three, we're now starting to see a great deal of interest in Asia and I think we'll see that continue for some time now. And is it amongst specific business sectors that we're seeing this interest? Well, as you know, the, um, most of the opportunity in Australia has been around the mining and resources sector, but mining and resources only represents about 10% of Australia's economy. It's the other 90% that now needs to get engaged, and those will be particularly in the food and agricultural space. That's probably the big opportunity for the future. But then there are other areas like healthcare, education, tourism, uh, technology, financial services. These are all areas that represent a much bigger share of the economy in Australia that now need to engage. And I think that's where we'll see some of the, uh, the new opportunities. Andrew, your thoughts? Are you going to put your money on Australia and the food and agricultural sector or one of these others? Well, I think there's been a big correction there because, as has as been said, you know, historically people have looked at it as a resources cycle, but there is a lot more out there uh, and there's a lot more potential. And uh, David, which uh, sort of Asian partners besides China is Australia actually looking to most uh, engage with? Well, Southeast Asia, I think, is probably um, coming on stream. Indonesia is Australia's closest uh, trading partner. Um, I think if you had to take a long-term bet, I would see the Australia-Indonesian relationship starting to uh, flourish. There's actually a big focus on India at the moment in Australia. We're starting to see a lot more interest there. Um, in fact, uh, the Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, has announced a big mission uh, to India this year. Um, but to be honest, uh, China is the big place at the moment. We've just signed a free trade agreement. We had the uh, visit from President Xi just quite recently. Um, and with the G20 in Brisbane, which was um, Australia largest ever event. Um, China and Australia is now becoming the, the big talking point. Yes, yeah, certainly we're aware of, uh, you know, the talks on trade. The question is, is it all about trade in these different industry sectors that you've mentioned or is there actual investment and in business activity? Both. I think both. both. Um, they've, they've increased the limits by which Chinese entrepreneurs can invest in Australia without local approvals. And they're opening up markets, particularly in the food and agricultural space, but in one or two others as well. Um, I think we'll see um, a, a lot of activity in the, in the next two to three years. All right, David. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is David Thomas, and he is the CEO of Sydney-based Think Global Consulting. Well, here we are almost at the end of the show. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up seven-tenth of a percent to 17,145. Australia's ASX index is down 11 points to 5,277. And Seoul's Kospi is up half a percent to 1,912. Gold is currently valued at $1,275.80 per ounce. And Brent crude oil is is currently at $48.84. Andrew, we have this week uh, on deck uh, the ECB meeting, of course, on Thursday. Besides that, what else should we be keeping our eye out for? 
well, obviously you mentioned GDP for China today, but also retail sales, because obviously the government there has been trying to make this more a domestic consumption story, so that'll be an interesting one to watch. And, and we have Davos, uh, so there's going to be a lot of macro, uh, macro thoughts coming out for the market to contend with. Ah, yes, Davos, always an interesting one. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Andrew Sullivan, a financial commentator and our regular Tuesday co-host. So once again, if you have specific questions for him, please don't hesitate to post a comment on our Facebook page, <laughs> facebook.com forward slash money for nothing on RTHK Radio 3. And this is Renita Malhotra signing off for Money for Nothing this morning. The weather forecast for today, it'll be dry with cloudy periods in the morning and and at night, mainly fine during the day with a maximum temperature of about 19 degrees Celsius. Currently, the temperature is 15 degrees and the relative humidity is 64%. Now it's time for the half-hour news summary with Todd Harding. Civic Party legislator Ronnie Tong says Beijing needs to give a solid promise that Hong Kong will eventually have true and genuine universal suffrage. Otherwise, it's wrong for pan-democrat lawmakers to support the government's political reform package. Speaking to RTHK this morning, Mr Tong said the government had given no guarantees that the current proposal was only the first step towards genuine universal suffrage. He was speaking after meeting the Chief Secretary, Carrie Lam, yesterday. I specifically asked Carrie Lam, since you ask us to take what is on the table, can you please tell us what is not on the table and, and what is to come in the future? And she was unable to answer that question. In fact, she said that uh, one cannot look at the current package as a midway package, but that something might happen in the future. I think that is really too vague for the people of Hong Kong to accept it. Pope Francis has supported the right of parents to choose the size of their families, saying good Roman Catholics didn't have to be like rabbits. He said population experts recommended three children per family. He was speaking on his way home from his visit to the Philippines. Some people think, and excuse my expression here, that in order to be good Catholics, we have to be like rabbits. No, parenthood is about being responsible. That's clear. Police in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, have fired tear gas at primary school children who were...